Welcome to the Norton Cancer Institute Hopecast, a chance for those affected by cancer to speak their story, to hear their thoughts, their struggles, what makes them happy, and at the end of the day, what helped them get through it. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month with the goal of increasing awareness and expressing support for children and their families. We go gold during September in honor and in memory of kids with cancer. Each year in the U.S. alone, over 15,000 children aged 0 to 19 are diagnosed with cancer. This month, our HopeCast will highlight our bone marrow transplant program and our CAR-T therapy program. Norton Children's Cancer Institute is the only pediatric program in Kentucky offering CAR-T cell therapy. We're going to hear from patients, family, and one of our amazing nurse clinicians. We go gold for our Norton Children's Hospital 7 West patients and families. Woo! Amelia. And how old are you? Six. What are some of your favorite things? Um, watching movies, playing on my Switch, and playing my toys, playing Witch. Um, she was diagnosed with Fanconi anemia in August of 2021. Um, we had a stem cell transplant the end of June. Well, we were admitted at the end of June for her stem cell transplant. She had her stem cell transplant on July 5th of this year. And then they took me to the emergency room to get my port. Say before that, we had a port placed. We had a Broviac placed. Mm -hmm. Then they took it out. We did take it out. It's been you know, a whirlwind of emotions. Um, yeah, we were in the hospital. We're in the hospital for almost 60 days, and you know, she had, of course, the transplant, and from people coming in and out all hours of the night to you know us still giving her medicine and and everything on our own outside of the hospital. That's been a, a big change for us, but we've we've handled it really well. Um, things have kind of slowed down. Uh, we still have to go to the doctors twice a week as of now, but we're just down to medicine two times a day. So her treatment has has really changed, you know, in the course of three, four months. She's She's doing good though. She is very outgoing, very loving, strong, independent, very strong-willed. She definitely has a mind of her own. She is very outspoken, and, and we knew that before, but... Sometimes I interrupt them questions. But going through transplant... <laughs> She, she's very outspoken. Um, she, she pays attention to everything. Even I hear everything. As far as us, I would say find your support system. Find your support system and just live day by day. Every day, 
things change. One day we can be having a great day, the next day it might not be so great. And we definitely learned that during treatment, even outside of treatment, just during the hospital stay, things change even minute by minute. So just live each day, day by day and take things as they come. But time goes by and I'm not going to say it gets easier, but it does. It's not as hard some days. Is there anything you want to add, Dad? Don't be afraid to ask questions. That's one thing we were a little afraid of in the beginning was, was asking questions. You know, doctors come in and they explain things as medically possible as they can. And a lot of times the things they talk about doesn't really translate to the average person. So in the beginning, we didn't ask as many questions as we probably could have, which I mean, it didn't affect anything, but the more questions we started asking, the more we understood the actual process of things going on the results of what was going to happen from each thing. So that would be my thing is, is ask as many questions as you possibly can. If you, you know, even if you're not, the doctor's not in the room, write it down. That's what we, we did we towards down. the end. We wrote down everything, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you woke up and you had, you know, something popped into your head, write it down, ask it. Somebody somewhere will give you an answer. Tracy Jennings is one of our nurse clinicians. My name is Tracy Jennings and I am a bone marrow transplant and cellular therapy nurse clinician, um, which is basically a coordinator for those two. Yeah, so with bone marrow transplant, there's two different types of transplants, um, either autologous, which is where you get your own cells back, or allogeneic, where you get someone else's cells. So instances where you would get an autologous transplant is if you have some type of solid tumor where you need really high dose chemotherapy. And then in order to recover from that really high dose chemotherapy, you have to be rescued with your stem cells. So that's one uh, example of transplant. The other example of transplant is an allogeneic where you get someone else's cells. And that's the type of transplant that most people are familiar with. Um, so when we have a patient who needs an allogeneic stem cell transplant, it's usually someone with a blood cancer or some type of problem in their bone marrow. So those problems in the bone marrow can be sickle cell anemia, it can be Fanconi anemia, it can be uh, congenital neutropenia, where some part of the bone marrow does not work properly. And the only way to get it to work properly is by eliminating it and starting over. So with the process of transplant, the workup before transplant is very lengthy. You have to make sure that everyone's um, kidneys and liver and lungs and ears and eyes and everything is working properly because once they have their transplant, they're so immunocompromised for so long that any problem that there may be, we need to know about it before transplant. So. Once you have a patient who needs an allogeneic stem cell transplant, 
you find a donor. That donor could be from the National Marrow um, Donor Registry or the NMDP, which programs like Be The Match um, to get on the registry uh, help us find donors for patients who need an allogeneic stem cell transplant. Um, so you identify a donor, make sure you have a donor. Um, siblings can be donors, parents can be donors, it just depends on the type of match. So you identify a donor, pick the timeline, do all the workup, and then once it's time for transplant, they get a, depending on their disease, they get a certain number of days of high-dose chemotherapy, we call it myeloablative, or you can get like a reduced intensity uh, prep regimen that won't make the patient as sick as someone getting a myeloablative uh, regimen, but it just depends on the disease process, what kind of prep regimen they get right before transplants. But either way, you can get radiation, you can get chemo um, right before, and then the day of infusion is the day of the infusion of stem cells. So you can use peripheral blood as a transplant source, or you can use bone marrow as a transplant source. So sometimes the cells will come from Germany or Israel or somewhere else. Um, so the timing of that is also very sensitive because once it's collected from the donor, it expires in 48 hours. So if you have cells that come from Germany, we may get them and they expire in six hours. So if the bone marrow lab has to Re, uh, red cell reduce the cells or anything like that, it takes a lot longer. So sometimes it's kind of down to a time crunch and it gets stressful, but um, we can usually manage it just fine. But um, so then they have their infusion of their stem cells, which is basically like a blood transfusion. We just hook it up to their central line and it runs in by gravity as fast as the patient can tolerate it. Cause again, you don't want those cells to die while you're sitting there waiting for it to infuse. Um, and then after that, all the action is kind of done and you just wait for their counts to drop, you wait for the chemo to do what it needs to do, and then you wait for them to recover. So transplant is pretty anticlimactic because the infusion is just, it's really boring most of the time. Um, but then the action of transplant is kind of once all the side effects of the chemo start hitting and the patient gets very sick, they always get a fever, they can have a couple other complications that can buy them a lot more time in the hospital. Um, and then after they're discharged and through the rest of their life, we monitor them um, all the way through their life to make sure there aren't any organ dysfunction. Um, some of our kids that get radiation have um, like endocrine problems their whole lives. There's just different problems that we anticipate depending on their prep regimen. So the transplant team follows them until they become adults and then we transfer them over to either adult Norton or if they move across the country as adults, then we encourage them to follow up too. And now here's Christian, one of our CAR-T therapy patients. Uh, I'm Christian Ivan Hernandez. I'm 16 years old. I have leukemia. I had two CAR T cell transplant. They were supposed to get rid of the, the cancer cells, but they haven't. Feels like it's almost been a month. I usually 
feel a little sick and nauseous. And sometimes my throat and my mouth starts to get bad and start to hurt. And sometimes my back starts to hurt as well. And then what about like your support system? Like whether it's family or friends, like? I guess my family, specifically my my dad, cause he's always here at the hospital with me. I think just waiting is the worst part cause you can't make it faster or anything. Probably the chemo. It's also the worst thing. When I first had it, it wasn't terrible to me at least. And so the higher the feeds were, the more I got like used to it. So the feeding tip wasn't really an issue for me. When I'm free from like everything that like I don't have any wires on me. I usually like to walk around the the whole place and help like kind of work out my my legs and then I when I get really bored I play a piano or the ukulele and recently a electric guitar Oh that's cool Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough at the start, but eventually you'll get used to it and it'll become much easier to do these things like chemo and staying here for a month or two or longer. Yeah, so CAR-T therapy um, is a cellular therapy where um, you genetically modify the patient's T-cells to work a certain way. So the um, CAR-T therapy that we do here is through Novartis, it's called Kimraya. And the way that it works, um, it's only for patients who have relapsed or refractory B-cell ALL, um, and they have to be on their second relapse or have been proven to not respond to traditional chemotherapy. So what we do, we identify the patient and we collect their T-cells and then we send those T-cells to Novartis's manufacturing facility in New Jersey. It takes three to four weeks for those cells to be manufactured. And during that manufacturing, basically Novartis puts kind of like a barcode scanner on those T-cells. It's not actually a barcode scanner, but that's the best way to understand how those T-cells work. So they, put that barcode scanner type um, tag, if you will, on those T cells that we've collected from the patient. And then it takes three to four weeks to manufacture those, and then they send them back to us. So then we'll keep them in our bone marrow lab here until we're ready to infuse them. So in those three to four weeks between the time of collection and when the cells return back to us, we'll give the patient very light chemotherapy, not enough to keep them sick. Um, We just want to kind of keep their leukemia simmering um, because all of these patients have relapsed or 
still have refractory disease. So um, we just don't want their leukemia to get out of control. So during those few weeks, we'll do some oral chemo, uh, maybe some intrathecal chemo, just very light chemo. So then once we have the cells back in our bone marrow lab in the freezer, um, then we'll admit the patient, give them some chemo um, to deplete their T cells that they have in their body to make room for the CAR T cells. So then we give them the CAR T cells and those CAR T cells have that barcode scanner on it just circulating through their body. And that those T cells will only recognize the CD19 positive cells in the patient's body. And with B cell ALL, most of the time, their CD19 cells are where their cancer is. So those CAR T cells circulate through the body and they can only find those CD19 positive cells. So then when you see those, then the CAR T cells will just zap them and kill them and only kill the CD19 positive cells, which are presumably their cancer cells. So those CAR T cells circulate through their body, ideally until um, the patient passes away in many, many, many years. They'll, um, we don't want the CAR T cells to go away. So there's things that we can do if, the, if it seems like the CAR T cells are dying off, um, but ideally those CAR T cells replicate over and over and over again throughout the patient's entire life, keeping their cancer away. Um, so it's really neat because there's not a lot of side effects. Um, it's a really, really good treatment for relapsed and refractory. So some centers actually do CAR-T therapy outpatient, um, which we may move to eventually, uh, but since we just started doing this in 2021, uh, we're being really cautious with our patients so that we can um, make sure that we're catching everything that we should be monitoring. Um, but we keep everyone a minimum of 14 days after the infusion. So they get five days or about four days of lymphodepleting chemotherapy and then two days of rest. So they're actually admitted six days before the actual infusion, and then we'll keep them until 14 days after the infusion. So they're here for about three weeks, and if they're well on day 14, then we'll send them home. While cancer remains the number one cause of death by disease for children in America, we will remain committed to giving the best quality care and support at the Norton Cancer Institute in Norton Children's Hospital. Thank you for listening to the Norton Cancer Institute Hopecast, casting hope out into our community.